If you guys... Blake still hasn't. Bless Blake, will you mess with my green screen and also crop me a little bit? And then make me slightly larger as well. Uh, none of those things. Live on time, on point, can be free charge. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, 224th live dissing. A long time coming. I anticipate it. Never do fade off stuff. Kate, unappreciated enough about your program. The only program that feature the nickel standard penny comp state talents of William Bishop, Blake Ever, State Full Mediator, Moderators, Third Round Draft Pick, Main Leader, Three People, Two Tims, One Dream, Broadcasting's Finest Train Wreck, and One Knee Wheeling Chair to Boot. Love about you as a Corydon Media presentation, YouTube, iTunes. All the other tunes available on Spotify, Anchor FM, available from every coast to every coast. And now, you also have my aspect ratio wrong. Uh, How'd you do that? That is true. That is absolutely true. Is it because of the monitor that I'm on? It looks squished. This is why I don't let you host things normally. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, Blake is on. a really good guy in person, Doc, but he's kind of an idiot when it comes to this kind of thing. <laughs> try not to, try not to cry. Cry a lot. It's that's what we do. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. It's, all right, give me just a second. Let me. I'll squish, squish you me, in Daddy. Squish me. All right, hang on. Do you, I want unsquishing, not re-squishing. We're gonna we're gonna crop and then we're gonna unsquish. Okay, you ready? Okay. There. <laughs> Can you do the filter that's, too? That's the exactly wrong. There we go. There's the unsquish. Still, still pretty squisherino, to who? Okay, I gotta bring this down. Well, there's some good COVID, COVID uh, info on here. So yeah, we haven't really talked. We talked about the COVID thing a lot, like, but not in too much opinion. We we really looked about at stuff and other things. We, we haven't uh, we haven't per se covered it here so right. much. And today is the first chance we're going to have to have an expert on, or someone at least who has plenty of experience with the situation. I don't know if you're going to define yourself as an expert, Doc. Well, I mean, I'd say expert, but I guess yeah. He's okay, a, at cool. least has expertise go. in the field, which is more than way us. more than yeah. what <laughs> like William and I are are looking at. So most of our our time is we're going. Did you see that graph? Did you see that article? Right. Did you do you hear right. about? Did you see about? You know what the thing is? Should and all Your all we really experience. have the things that that William and I can really hang our hat on is wash your hands, right? Yeah. Uh, wear a mask. Socially distant. We well, there's a lot we don't know. I want right? to hear all about all of this. And, and, you know, what, what is right and what isn't from a doctor's perspective. Yeah. So, and chat, tell me about, uh, give me some feedback on audio as they these guys begin talking, and then we'll uh, we'll kind of go from How there. How did you end up squishing me? Right-click on me, transform, reset, transform. No, that might screw things up. Yeah, it's going to, yeah, it, I can't do that. I've got I've to do it as we go. <laughs> See? Still really, what aspect ratio monitor? How did you do this? Yeah, uh, let's, yeah, it's, it's a long, it's a long story. Try not to cry, cry a lot. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. All right, I'm going to be unsquishing you as we go. Oh, wait, wait. It's a con hold down control. Does that do it? A little bit. Okay. All right, so first off, let me uh, let me just introduce uh, introduce Doc. So so Doc is my uh, is my university roommate a million years ago. Um and uh went to school together. I uh, well, he he went off to um, to the army and slash medical school. Went to a, a darn good medical school. Went to become a uh, a doctor. Later on, did a uh, uh, was a, a, a I, when I found him again after many years after college, he was I, his title was assistant director. Uh, from that same dorm room that we were in for four years. He went off to medical school, become a doctor, served in Iraq, uh, treated treated Iraqis, like has all this history, 
uh, all of that ends up becoming we meet each other and then we find out we're in jujitsu both um, he is now a at the time he was a purple belt now he is a black belt in jujitsu medical doctor veteran and I am here talking to you scrubs so that's where we that's where we, de- we from that same dorm room anything our possibilities were open and one of us chose a really nice path and the other one is making yuck yuck jokes yeah on what are internet. you doing blake like <laughs> you kind of look like crap compared to doctor over here like did you do anything we uh, went to we went to like vegas and won a couple games yeah a series of unfortunate you events you married an right? australian girl you had some kids yep i did, did you do did all I mean, those things i did all those things right you were in the same space there with doc he certainly had a better work ethic than you that's right so and every time i mean he can attest to this every time my mother would come and visit pretty small room right doc so yeah it was not it was Probably your jujitsu room, your old jujitsu room that we fought in, and two yeah, beds, I, two beds, two desks, a sink, and that's yeah. about it. And we were crammed in this. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and my mother would come over and she would look at your side of the room, and then she would look at my side of the room, and she would just, just be just so disappointed, like so completely just disappointed. Just in you, in general. Yeah. <laughs> She was always turn Doc up 30%. Oh, uh, turn him up. Yeah, 30%. Okay. Right click on Discord and F3. Yeah, we'll do. Okay, hang on a second. I gotta, let me shut this for a second because I gotta move stuff around. Stuff. I gotta stuff Stephen around. Move stuff around. Oh, wait, for, never mind. Forgive I, Blake. He's, I, should have, I really should have posted today. Sorry, man. No, we're good. Okay, and there we go. Okay, we're all good. So, uh, here, I'm going to leave this thing right here. So, anyway. So, uh, I guess, give us... Uh, it was a many years ago, Marcus. Uh, it was uh, it was many years ago. Um, and we don't really... We don't really uh, it's not... It's Oh, shite. It's not really good uh, to divulge your, um, your age on the internet. So, we'll leave that... We'll leave that out there. So, but anyway... Right, this is when, what's that? 1994 is when we. It was a while. Wow. It was a yeah. long, long ass time ago. It was in the 90s. So, we did. Uh, so, uh, the, the dawn of the uh, the dawn of the internet age and all of that business. So after school, you and I lose touch. So what happens after school? Uh, and tell us a little bit about your medical school, your training, and all of that business. So uh, well, after school, I spent about seven, eight months doing, uh, working at a research lab as a research assistant mm-hmm. while I was, uh, working towards going to medical school. Then, uh, in, uh, what, that was in 98, I started medical school. I got a, a military scholarship to go to medical school. And that's how I, uh, really got started in the, uh, army. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, commissioned as a re- reserve officer and did some training yearly as I went through medical school and then after residency is when I went active duty into the army. Now, when I joined the uh, health professional scholarship at that time, we were relatively safe. You know, it seemed like a really good idea, not much going on in the world. And then, you know, 2001 hit Mm -hmm. uh, and all hell breaks loose. And I remember, uh, my first year after uh, residency, when uh, I was officially a uh, commissioned, fully commissioned uh, active duty officer, 
everybody was going to Iraq pretty much right from the get-go. Everybody uh, that showed up to the base within six months was deploying out to some extent or another. And I remember uh, pretty vividly when I got noticed uh, and I was at home, I received a uh, call from our commanding officer. And, uh, you know, it's not, hello, how are you doing? No small talk. It's just, he says, you know, as an officer, do you have any reason why you can't deploy to Iraq next week? I'm like, well, I wouldn't want, I don't want to go, but (laughs) (laughs) so uh, that's pretty much how he told me. He said, well, we have someone that has to come back. So you're going to be deploying in one week. So get everything together. And um, so my wife and I were just newly married. We were newlyweds uh, about seven months into our marriage. So that was kind of a, a shock to to have that. You were gone longer than you guys were married. You were gone longer than you guys were married. Yes, pretty yeah. much. Yep. So I knew the the, uh, the people that were with me in Iraq longer than I knew my wife as, as my wife, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, how long were you over in Iraq? I was there, luckily, not as long as some. I was there a little under ten months, nine months and some change. Someone had to come back for. Uh, they, at the time, they were doing twelve-month deployments, which eventually went up to fifteen, uh, when the, just the cycle was so uh, intense. But uh, um, I was replacing a uh, officer that had to come back, a medical officer that had to come back for personal. Uh, uh, family issues, and so I, w- I was ending up finishing up his tour, which was was uh, the nine months. Oh. But what's uh, interesting about the medical corps? I, I don't know if it's different now. It's been a while back since I, I was in. At that time, you, a lot of times you were not with the unit until you got into country. So hmm. it's not like I had all this time to get to know everybody, train together. Basically, you're thrown in the middle of nowhere, and you just have to make do with what you got and so uh, i remember uh, when i showed up in iraq i didn't all i knew what base was i, I was at, at but i didn't know what where the uh, aid station was that where i was supposed to be working at or the people that i was supposed to work with luckily i was i was clueless just looking around asking people uh, where's the aid station and this was a huge place uh, we were at uh, at uh, cop spiker in, uh, in Iraq, that, that used to be the former, I believe, the uh, kind of like the, our equivalent to the Air Force Academy for for uh, for Iraq. Hmm. So it was a huge base. And when I got there, I was just acting like a fool, looking around, asking people where the aid station is. But luckily, one of the uh, uh, um, specialists that was happened to be there worked at the uh, with the optometrist who was right next door to the aid station. So he picked me up and he took me over, and I show up. I'm like, here I am, yeah. and they're like. Well, who are you? Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, I, I'm supposed to be here for the next time myself. So. They're like, well, they were happy to have me, but it was a, uh, it was kind of an eye opener, just really no, uh, uh, no, you know, set up to actually getting there. Right? It was just I was just kind of thrown into the fire, so to speak. Did you have? Did you told me a story of when you was this the one where you got off the plane, and you had a certain type of luggage? And was that a different? Was that a different one? So this was uh, when we went, when I went to El Paso to train to to get ready for Iraq. Okay. So El Paso surprisingly is very fitting to yep. train for the Middle East. Yep. So, it, re- uh, it really is insanely. Yeah. El Paso is where I did pre-mobilization as well. 
Yeah, so, so <laughs> William's, William's a vet too, by the way. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Camp, sure. Camp Liberty, Iraq for me, 2011. A little bit later than you. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> when I got there, you know, I was pretty much brand new to the military. Uh, uh, you know, uh, most of most of the officers there were, were green as you can get. And so when I showed up, you know, everybody had their uh, uh, assault packs and whatnot. I come in you know, uh, Rambo with my rolling suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> a rolling suitcase, no way. With my extendable <laughs> handle. Yep. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, and it's gravel, so it's not exactly like it can roll very well. Right. No, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm going that a lot. I remember this colonel looking at me, tracking up. He's like, where are you going? You know, uh, Cancun? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Vacation? What are you talking about? Yeah. So I promptly threw that in the trash and went to the... Uh, uh, read to the PX and got me a salt pack and <laughs> tried to look more proper uh, military. Classic officer. Yeah. Just <laughs> chilling, you know? Yeah. Had a smoothie I had to get a lot of fun over there. So got me a lot of uh, sunscreen. And... Right. So what? Sunscreen mandatory. Yeah, so. mandatory. So what would you, uh, so when you got to, uh, when you got to Iraq, finally, and you got to your station. What what kind of did you did you actually you're done with your medical school and you are, you're actually starting to treat treat folks? Yes, I'm, at that point I'm I'm a fully commissioned uh, active duty uh, uh, military officer, me- mm-hmm. medical officer. Right. So so what percentage of Americans versus non-Americans did you treat? Majority of the time it was major- uh, all of them were our service members. Uh huh. Did because, you? Uh, so I served in three locations. So our role was, I was at, Cost is a really huge base. So you have everything there. I mean, you have Pizza Hut and you can get a massage, guitar lessons. You know, hold on. When, when the U.S. goes to war, we go really well in style. <laughs> you a gym. I mean, they had a gym over there that was better than probably Gold Gym. Really? Uh, yeah. We, they even had marathons you could run there. Uh, but uh, in, in Iraq? In country? In Iraq, yeah. We actually had Boys. a marathon. Uh, the gym was like the most popping place to be, honestly. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, when you were off duty, you just went to exercise. I mean, that was yeah, but crazy. there's not a whole lot to do, so you might as well get fit. Get, get swole, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like this. So, uh, um, so uh, yeah, I mean, most of the time we treated uh, at the aid station our service members. Now, periodically, we would have to go out into country either with uh, a, you know, a PA or, or a or doctor that has to come back, uh, you know, because we get two weeks of R&R in between your, in your, during your deployment. Yeah, at some point. And so uh, um, during those times, we would be sent out periodically to fill those positions. That's when you were, it, was re- it was really seeing more Iraqi oh, okay. uh, and their civilians. Okay. There it is. Un- yeah. So at the age, I mean, we really want to keep him back, basically, is the kind of thing. Like, we don't really want Doc going out too much with us. Because when we get someone injured, we want to bring him back to base. Right. We treating on the spot is usually infantry job anyway. So. Yeah, no, our medics are second to none. I mean, so. Right. So, it's a, yeah, it, ma- it makes sense. Right. So yeah. you, you almost and never, you know, ever left the base. It's interesting, Blake, that you bring yeah, up. You're like, there's a gym? Yeah, like, there's a lot of stuff there that you probably like because there's like there's people on base like selling CDs for us to play in like a DVD player, you know, there's there's it's like because a whole economy starts developing around these bases where they want to sell to the U.S. soldiers because U.S. soldiers are making money from the USA. Right. So very quickly, this gap in the market starts getting filled with stuff that we like. Like there was a calzone shop at Camp Liberty 
Yeah, oh. you get Calzones. So it's it's a bit it's kind of like not what you expect at some of these bases. Like so, the fobs they're awful, but at the like the bases that are at the airport, the, they can be pretty. I mean, yeah. they, you might actually have a Starbucks. I was I was joking about it, but yeah. you could have a Starbucks actually at your base, possibly. Yeah, we had green bean coffee. Which was yeah, yeah, that's hard. that's. I think we yeah. had that at Liberty too. It was not on my yeah. side of the base; it was on the other side of the base. Yeah, we had the green green bean paste. I don't know why wow. it was those green beans, dudes, but yeah. Nice. So it's it's a bit weird. It's not maybe not what you expect per se at some of these locations because it is really an economy. Like just there's in, a lot of Indian workers coming in, a lot mm -hmm. of uh, workers from other places coming in as well because they have they're like very stable work with good pay there. Yeah. All so, right. yeah. Yeah. And, and, it's, it's great to hear Doc talk about this because other soldiers don't or other people don't know. Yeah. What it really was at, yeah. at base. Every service member up to I think a hundred and five thousand or something like that. Uh, it's tax tax free when you're deployed, so you don't pay taxes on that. Yeah, and you're single, if, that's a lot. If you can say you're if, like, if you're not dumb, you you got some cash coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hazard pay as well. So, yeah. so I, I was out of the wire every single day, and I mean, it's just getting to come back is uh, I, like there's not a I feel like there's not a whole lot of difference between what Doc and I experienced besides leaving the wire every day and doing the routes and driving around and mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So. So the fobs are different. How much time did uh, so? How much time did each of you spend at a fob, forward operating base, right? I was never at a fob. You're never. I was only in the middle of Baghdad. I had to handle everything. Okay, and you almost never left, right? You, you uh, they, they kept you, uh, Doc, on base all the time. No, uh, if it was a big mission, we would go out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which those were the worst because, and I, I feel for all, every combat medic. I mean, they, they were the ones that were really day in day out. You know, going out voice. by the wire. Uh, we uh, we would only go out on the bigger missions, and so they, we would kind of be in, in a, a kind of a, a, a backward area, and any major casualties would come back to us, and then we would mm. realize them and see if they have to be medevaced or not. Man, man. All right. Well, so well, you're was... out of your element here. You're like, yeah. That seems right. Well, so we mostly, just anything. so just... mostly, is it uh, <laughs> you had to? Uh, if you were out of base, you had to e you quickly kind of do an ER type triage of can we do it here or do we got to get him out of here, right? Pretty much, and it's somewhat backwards in a ways because uh, you would think it's critical always goes first, but sometimes you have to. If it's a mass casualty situation, you have to base it on survivability. Who is the most likely to survive? So, so my, my spot critical. there with working with Doc would be evaluating on the spot and try to radio back, let him know what this situation looks like here. I'm, I'm talking about how it's, people are ambulatory, what condition they're in, things mm -hmm. like that. And then Doc is trying to make decisions about what to do as they come in. So it's, it's we're we're working with together. And this this Kazakh is super super important. We go over it all the time, over and over again. It's like one of the main jobs you're gonna have. Well. Well, all right. Well, then, so then, did did you ever have a ton of non non soldiers uh, and uh, f folks from in country like Iraqis or the other side come in, and you had to work on them as well? Oddly enough, uh, my you know when we were transitioning with the new uh, uh, unit that was taking over the base that we were at, the, uh, my like latter half of my deployment, we were at kind of middle of nowhere in Medina which is kind of close to the Iraq-Iran border. And so that was kind of Wild West medicine. There was nothing there. Uh, the hosp local hospital, the Iraqi Special Forces, that either killed most of the physicians there, the, the, the local physicians, or the, and the other local physicians had already left that area. So we were it pretty much. Wow. So 
if you'd imagine, we were le less equipped than most clinics, you know, that you would see at probably like CVS or whatnot. But uh, 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 we would have to deal with a lot of trauma uh, situations. So we were doing that uh, transition. We were actually scheduled to do a mass casualty exercise that day. And, and we actually ended up having a real situation develop because uh, there was a car bomb that went off. And uh, um, so there we had, I think, 50 or 55 um, civilians that were in that car bomb. And a couple of my medics were injured. One of my female medics, we had luck, uh, knock on wood. Uh, uh, well, I mean, it's, it's in hindsight, but I, we didn't, and not by just, you know, I'm not saying I, I was great at, at anything, but we were just very lucky that we didn't lose anybody when I was there. But that particular day, I had a female uh, uh, medic that was pretty badly injured. She had a lot of shrapnel injuries. Um, but I think she, I'm pretty sure she made it. But I remember that really hit me harder than most because they're doing the same things, but for something about, you know, um, her being female, I don't know why, that just well. made it more uh, hard, harder, I think, for me to just to see that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we had 55 casualties come in, if I remember correctly. And so uh, that was all kind of all hands on deck. If you have any medical experience, you have to come to the aid station. And we were, it was just crazy. Everybody was, we were just lining people outside the uh, aid station. So we had two helicopters there. They were all ready to go. And then we had to hurry up and try to triage which ones that had to be on the first flight out. Um, and so that ended up really, oddly enough, we were gearing for a, a casualty exercise, but didn't expect there to be actual uh, um, mass casualty situation that, that that would go live. So that was that was my last day as the actual uh, squadron uh, surgeon at that location was uh, that, that mass casualty. Last day? Yeah. Well, well, when we transitioned, that I had like another week there, but I wasn't the one in charge at that point. Oh. Um, the new squadron surgeon was the one. I'm in one day away from was, retirement. Yeah, yeah. Blake was feeling. I am one was, day away from retirement, and here, <laughs> and then here this comes in, right? That's yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, VVEDs. This situation with a vehicle-borne IED, scary situation. It's the biggest terror for everybody. This you can just put so much explosives on these things, and they'll just put whatever in there. You know, whatever they can get their hands on. Yeah, ball bearings, nuts, bolts, yeah. you name it. They put it yeah. in there. I can fly. I guess I don't know. That's, ugh. Oh man! So then, uh, so you you so you went to three different bases while you were in a you were in Iraq, right? Um, and you were just to call it wacky Iraqi land. Can we refer to it as wacky Iraqi land? Once yeah, from this now on, that's what I yeah. always called it. Works for me. Yeah. <laughs> so you had, so you were th uh, three three places where you had to serve and do things in those nine ten months, right? Where you were there. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. All right, and then. Um, and then you come. So then, what what was it like for you on the last your last say week there? Were you was it as big of a surprise that you were going home, or did was there leading up to it? Because you only had a week to prepare to go. Did they just suddenly come to you and go, "Guess what? You're you're going home. To, you're going home uh, in four days. All right, let's go." You know. Well, actually, it wasn't that organized, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> So the same way I I got there, same way I came out. So oh, uh, so the unit they're all geared to leave, but since as, since I'm a medical asset, I'm not really attached to them. Mm. So I kind of have to find my own way out. <laughs> and uh, what? So, every, so there you go to the building, and every day you look, and you know it's kind of this really crappy looking 
almost like a terminal. And I'm looking around, okay, which helicopters are going to be going to Kuwait? Uh, uh, flight out. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Home is Kuwait. Yeah. Oh, so so, you, so they didn't have an order for you. You're you you leave at 0600 tomorrow, and then Blake's understanding of the military is is so organized. Here's He's your like, papers. <laughs> I mean, I saw uh, Forrest Gump. He he was given papers, and he had to go right then. He had like two hours to get his stuff and go. And yeah. they had a flight for him, and they had a thing for him, right? So yeah, no, I had papers, and then it took me about two weeks to get out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you had. Here's your orders. Go home, and you're like, well, okay, yeah. well, well, <laughs> yeah, we worked that I, out. I I got to Kuwait, and then there weren't any flights to get from Kuwait. Uh, uh, actually, from uh, Baghdad, I had to go to Baghdad, then to Kuwait. Mm. So I went to the Baghdad and the Green Zone. That's was kind of the big area where uh, yeah, uh, the major uh, big bases. And so I spent like a week there, just trying to get a flight to Kuwait. So there wasn't much to do. I watched videos and worked out, like William said. And uh, what <laughs> that's, I, dude, that's uh, all. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just like I, I would make my own workout schedule. That's something I've never done in other parts of my yeah. life while I was in Kuwait. Like, because this, oh God, Kuwait is so. I don't know. And the videos are of bad quality. You know, yeah. you, you get people walking in the. <laughs> Up from their seats and you know, also, uh, <laughs> bootleg copies. Yeah, were they bootleg, oh, yeah, were they bootleg copies? Like yeah, someone filmed it from a movie theater. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my but, goodness. Yeah, so I, I uh, finally got out, and I remember uh, uh, when I was on the. Uh, well, first of all, getting out of the uh, Baghdad was a nightmare because there were 185 of us get, getting a C-130. Oh. Yeah, and you can imagine it's. 130 degrees in Iraq at that time. And on the tarmac, it's 170. Oh. And so we have about 70 pounds of gear on, and we're sitting in the C-130, and it's not like it has air conditioning. I mean, it's just it's blowing so hot, hot air. And there's oh. 185 of us in there. Uh, I think it was 185. Anyway, we were packed in like sardines, and at some point, I'm like, I'm going to have a full-blown panic attack here. <laughs> I got to get out of here. We're not taking off. So finally, we get up into the air, and uh, uh, I remember landing in Kuwait. And then when I was actually leaving Kuwait for good, uh, that sun, you know, we were up in the air, and uh, I was looking at the sun. It's like the most beautiful thing I think I've ever seen. It's just everything looks so calm and peaceful. It didn't have to, you know, you're not amped up. Like, you're not worried about that uh, rocket or someone shooting at you or whatever. You can finally just relax. I'm I'm out of that hellhole, and I can go back home. And I remember when I got back to Texas, uh, and I saw my wife. You know, te- Texas is not. I love Texas, but not the prettiest place in the world. It's not. <laughs> when I got back from Iraq, everything looked so green. I was just looking around, it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much green around here. <laughs> Any amount of green was set yeah. off. It's yeah. not brown and moon dust. You yeah. know, it's powdery sand. Oh, yeah. That moon dust. I don't. I don't think you can explain the moon dust very well to people. How sticky it is, and how and how it like gets on everything because it's so fine, especially when it gets wet. This yeah. is very similar to my experience being on the C one thirty. I remember it super vividly, mostly because of the pit in my stomach that I felt. I had I had my entire flick on mm-hmm. sitting on, in the chairs, and I'm like pushing my flick off my chest to try to get air in between my flick and my chest, like talc, like talcum powder. Yeah, yeah. beef's a marine. Forget by the way. Like that. Beef's, beef's a marine, by the way. Oh, oh, yeah. 
Hurrah. Yeah, hurrah. Uh, hurrah. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's, he's uh, tilted right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, so anyway, he, uh, so do you have similar, do you have similar memories of that C-130 we packed in? And did oh, yeah. you, did you do the same thing when you were, when the, you left? The thing that terrifies me the most being, being packed in the C-130 is the way that the seats were set up was that there was like a, a thing that could be pulled on the seats. And if that safety were to go, you would just roll out the back of the plane. That's how, that's how they set it up. And I just remember keeping thinking about what it would feel like to have that safety move and then just fall out the back. But of course, I mean, the, the doors are closed and stuff like that. Right. It was just, the, the C-130 was not as bad as the 12-hour flight home for me, honestly. Uh, the 12-hour flight home to, to El, the East Coast and then to El Paso again to Demo was way worse. So, by the way, uh, William not only um, has a weird thing about flying, but also suffers from pretty oh, severe yeah. motion sickness. Really bad. <laughs> so, so yeah, so the, the 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 combat dive to land in Kuwait yeah. that I I'm hate sure. is the worst. An extra fun for you, huh? right? <laughs> Any flying, I yeah. have to. I, so I went to airborne school too. I did. I'm a six jump chump, and every single time I would get motion sick. Mm -hmm. a, a huge majority of the time, I just vomit during these situations, yep. and I'm just used to it. Uh, also, William and I have taken several flights together to go to these uh, these these conventions together. and all that. Never, and I say together, meaning we're on the same tube in the plane. Right. We do not sit together because he will barf. Like that's that's it. <laughs> don't talk to me. Don't, don't talk, talk to me. me. He didn't want. He don't want to talk to anybody. So I he I have him get his seat, and then I pick I pick something way up or <laughs> so, somewhere just away. You know. So we may get on the same tube, but there's no. Uh, we don't want to sit by him. It's better to not look at him or anything to set him off. Um, just as long as I keep my head in my lap, I'm mostly okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, uh, so then you, you, uh, so, oh yeah, one, one other thing, William, so did you have the same thing when you came home and did you, did you, were you craving green? what did you crave? You know, I feel like I don't really have super strong memories of what it was like to get home. I remember being tired and working on my car and fixing it up because it hadn't been driven. And then, I don't know, I, I guess I haven't thought about it a lot where I, I, I I kind of felt like I wasn't home for a long time. I, mm. I think it took a really long time for me to feel like I wasn't in country still. Oh. And I kind of just still treated everything in all situations. Like I would see a pile of rocks stacked up on the side of the road. And I would I would think that it was a trigger for an IED. Because what they would do, they would stack up rocks. And then once you got close to the rock, they would be like, okay, now they're close to my target. Because they're far away. And they're hitting their thing, the clapper, mm -hmm. to set off the IED. Like, and, and so my mindset was for a really long time still as if I was in a combat zone. So I don't think I had that same experience that Doc had where I felt relief for a really long time. You know, you bring up an interesting point because I remember uh, one of my duties when I got back, I, I was actually part of the uh, um, Respect Mill program, which was, you know, there were so many uh, suicides uh, and service members when they got back because of, you know, PTSD and other issues. And uh, one thing, I, I was at a conference and they were talking about uh, when you get back, you can't, the switch doesn't just turn off like that because you're, you're in that fight or flight, but you're at more step flight, uh, fight at that point. Yep. And so you're, you're amped up and you can't just turn that switch off when you come back. And so, you know, you'll see people will have issues with their family because their family doesn't understand that. Their family just sees you as someone that came back that, and they, they weren't there to experience what you felt unless they were service members prior or something like that. And so, it, they react to you almost like you were the same person, but you're not, mm -hmm. you know? And so something that shouldn't get you ticked off can. You can, like, the way you say, you know, can you take the trash out? 
how come you didn't take the trash out? Well, your mind is amped up already. And that, that's the way someone says, says, talks to you in a certain way is enough to just get you going, you know? It, I mean, you can just explode in your spouse or your kids uh, because you're still in that mode, you know, when you were uh, at war. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's because you're ready for someone to come into your chew, you tell them come into your tent and say, hey, it's on. This thing is happening, mm-hmm. right? Like always, always ready for this thing. Yep. And, and it took me a really, really long time to turn it off. And sometimes I still can. Yep. It's still there. It's, it's sometimes the switch is still. And you're right. Like uh, it came out in tiny things all the time, like how I fold my socks and how I want things to be organized and how things need to be set up and how I'm exiting and parking the car and moving around and being in traffic. Even, even small things could go from you know a normal situation to this is a this is a red situation where i'm yep. you know 100 my my adrenaline is going a bump in the night very often will make me go from zero to 100 instantly still after six years of being out yeah uh, but I, I will say so in that in that same regard uh all of william's wiring and training has been super useful for both him and us yeah, because like he is heads up way more than I am heads up most times of what's going on around us. <clears throat> He's all checking exits and making sure we got a way out if we need a way out. And he's like, let's... It's not by choice even, Blake. That's the thing about it, you know? It's, he's like, check your gear. Where, where's your bag? Would you where's know your where equipment? your bag? Touch, touch your... accountability. Yeah. Equipment accountability. Like, touch your bags. Uh, where, you got to get, get your equipment. And you... I lost a jacket at one of our conventions. Me remember the, the, the San Antonio party. Remember. And you were way more pissed off that I lost that jacket than I was. <laughs> because they were having a reaction. Because it could have been something was, else. It could have been your wallet. Yeah, it, it was. It was equipment accountability, and I was going, "Ah, eh, I get a different jacket, you know, it's a twenty-four dollars jacket. It's not a big deal." But he was. He was more like, "All right, we got to get a better handle on our equipment because that losing shit ain't that ain't happening, right?" <laughs> so, not on my watch, Mister. And I was like, okay, well. You you notice, a lot of soldiers and Marines will not sit with their backs towards the entrance. Mm-hmm. They're always uncomfortable. Yeah, mm-hmm. 360 degree security. Yeah, wait to see someone coming in. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, so so then you you come home and when when you and I hook up, you've already had a nice little nice little medical career post post deployment. You get out of the army and you're into your practice, and you start out being a, a civilian doc, right? You're correct. And then, uh, and so, uh, you, uh, what was your first kind of employment? Did you get into with a big hospital, or did you have a private practice, or how did? What was kind of your first gig coming out of? My uh, gig was uh, so when I was about to get out, a friend of mine from medical school, he had already started a practice, mm-hmm. and so he wanted me to join him. You know, he was like. Telling me how how good things are and how it, easy it's to get going really fast and and uh, um, and uh, he was a really good guy so I, I appreciated that he because at that point I only knew military medicine so I didn't know how the civilian side worked very well and so when I got out um, I joined his practice so his so he has a certain kind of standard of how he wants to live and which involves a lot of working so. Um, he sold it to me like, oh, you know, you, you can go see your family whenever you want. You see patients in this time frame. The rest of the time, you're just enjoying it. Well, in reality, he works a whole lot. So when I joined him, we were, uh, my days typically started at four in the morning, four or five in the morning. 
and I would go to the hospital round uh, on patients, and then I would get to the clinic at eight, and then see patients till noon, and then go to the hospital uh, during lunchtime. We had, no, we did have a two-hour lunch, but we went to uh, to the hospital to admit any patients that needed to come in to the hospital, and then went back to the clinic. Uh, till about five and then I went to the hospital again to admit any patients in the evening. So um, we were really working probably four in the morning till about eight or nine at night. And then uh, on the weekends, uh, it was me, my, myself, him, and then we had a third uh, critical care doctor that um, rotated a call. You know, on the weekend, you can't, if you uh, work on the weekend every weekend on your patients, you, you would just, you know, burn out. So we would, we would rotate. So I would see everybody's patients in the hospital one weekend. And then my partner would see everybody's patients his weekend. And then the, the critical care doctor would see her patient. Mm-hmm. For that weekend. Problem was, is when you rounded, you rounded on like 50 people in the hospital, which is a lot. And those are not just, you know, people with colds. There's some people on ventilators or in the ICU. Uh, and then you have your standard hospital patients. Then I went to a, uh, what's called an LTAG long-term acute care facility where people are tr- are good enough to leave the hospital but not bad enough to go back home mm. for the transition period. And the, so I rounded those patients. Then I would go to a rehab facility and round to those patients. So it, it was probably about 50 patients I would round on on the weekends. And then, um, so it was very inpatient heavy at that time. And what I didn't like, I only did that for about six, seven months and I, I was burned out because... Uh, I mean, every two hours at night, I'd get a call on, on a patient in the hospital. Oh, what do you want to do with this person? Which wow. not not being able to sleep more than two to three hours in a row, you know, gets to you after a while. Oh, yeah, for 100%. real. Yeah. And, and having, not having that separation, I'm home and work. Too. Yeah. 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 And I remember, about, you know, my wife one time, she, she just told me, you're not here. I mean, you're here physically, but you're just kind of blankly looking at into space (laughs) (laughs) and and that's uh you have to really take that on board honestly when she says you're not here yeah actively i think that's that's really important and what's interesting is i don't i think it's uh serendipitously i had a patient she was a very sweet woman one of my patients i was i was leaving after rounding on her she just said out of the blue you know doc don't don't work too hard it's not worth it she said uh you know what's most important is your family and go. I was like, you know, that, that was just at the right time to hear that. And I was like, you know what? I really, I don't want to keep doing this. I mean, if I kept doing that, yeah, I, I would be able to live a certain lifestyle. But um, at, at what expense? You know, I didn't want to look back and my kids wonder, well, where was my dad when when I was growing up? He was he was alive and he was physically here, but he wasn't there for me. Did yeah. didn't spend any time with me. And, you know, just bought me gifts to try to uh, abate his guilt and that kind of thing. Mm. So, mm. So, that's yeah, that's, that's so I, what ends up happening. Yep. So I decided I need to make a change. And that's when I changed to uh, urgent care at the time, which is more, you know, shift based. You you work hard, but then when you're off, you're off. Yeah. And one body. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you, and you're you're treating and triaging. Right. And then but you send them on to a, a longer term care doc or something. Or do you, you don't follow uh, them all the way through? Uh, what an urgent care yeah. setting? No, urgent care settings for the most part are just kind of your bread and butter stuff, sinus infections, you know, sometimes pneumonia, uh, uh, allergies, or you get you know someone 
breaks a bone or, or gets a cut, those kind, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Anything, you do get the more higher acuity things that come in, but we would just triage them and make them make sure they're stable and then get them on the, the hospital. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some people do, do in a, uh, incorrectly assume that urgent cares are emergency rooms and will come to an urgent care for something that should go to an emergency room. But then you have the vice... The flip side, a lot of people go to emergency rooms for things that really don't need to be going to the emergency room. Right, right. Yeah, that that ER, I was I was trying to explain to my kiddo, um, um, he was doing something dumb. And I said, son, you're, you're going to, as much as I would like you to learn this lesson, you're going to hurt yourself, and then we're going to go, <laughs> we're gonna go to the ER. And I said, son, the ER is not the place you want to be. Like, it's not a fun place. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. Like you want to avoid the ER at all costs. And so does my pocketbook. So <laughs> get over here and let's talk about what you're about to do and see if we can find a better way. Like I, I always, uh, the, the ER stuff, he's like, are we going to the hospital dad? I think he, we went one time for the daughter for some sort of, um, something on the weekend, um, a, a while back. And right about that time we stopped because a couple of urgent care things popped up around us that was way cheaper, way reasonable, less trafficked, less people coming in there like crazy. But I remember going in there with the daughter or some uh, or daughter or son or something, and there was a dude who needed to be in the ER, and he was, number one, puffed, just swole. Number two, as red as William's shirt, and he was having some sort of allergic reaction, some, either bee sting or shrimp something, whatever. And he was puffy, and I think could have been peanut butter, could have been peanut butter, something. But Ash looked over at him, and Ash goes, "What's wrong with that man?" or something. And I said, "Son, the ER is a place you do not want to be. Like we need to get out of here (laughs) as soon as we possibly can. This is not a doctor. This is a different place than the doctor's office. This is this is a place where people are in real trouble. Uh, So we we avoid that ER as much as we can, uh, except for ER." Uh, we have uh, I have a nurse in the house. I guess I guess so do you. So we have an ER. Mi- we have a pretty good mindset of what to do when and when to go in and when not to. Right. So. Um, so when you and I so when you and I hooked up again uh, a cabillion years after school, you uh, uh, on your title, you were um, your title was assistant medical director. Yeah. So what did you do at, at that hospital at that time? Uh, what, uh, what what kind of things? What kind of things were you doing for your doctor side, and then what kind of things were you doing for the administrative side? That side, that at that point in time, I wasn't doing as much to administrative. I was still mainly seeing patients. I would help out when the medical director would would be on vacation, or or uh, uh, you know cert, certain questions that came up that uh, um, from a medical standpoint that the staff had. Then uh, I could I would feel those. But uh, um, until I actually became a medical director, I, I didn't do, do as much of the uh, administrative uh, aspect of, uh, uh, of you know clinical medicine. Right. So I asked. So I asked you. I said, "Hey, man, look at you, assistant medical director." And you're you remember what you told me? No, what did I say? That's uh, just a title. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's something it, to put on your door. Yeah, it's just it's just a title. I don't know. I don't know. So then you went on to be a medical director. So what kind of things did you do for uh, was for the clinic or hospital or whatever it was? That was uh, doing the schedules uh, and then, you know, all the SOPs, standard operating procedures for uh, for the clinic. I would have to review those and every year make sure that 
they were up to speed and you know it was the standard of care for that time mm-hmm. and then, uh, um, we would do uh, medical chart reviews just random chart reviews make sure that everybody that was uh you know in patient care was uh following the standard of care that's the big thing yeah. and and following evidence-based medicine you know, no one's doing things just on a whim uh, just because it feels good, you have to have a good science yeah. behind it to explain why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. It's like show your work. Show your work. Kind of yeah, that's what my teachers always tell me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the difference? Yeah, you first need to show all your work. Yep. Yeah, yeah. What's the difference between uh, what's the difference between research and goofing a boot, writing it down? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is something that I like. Yeah. This is one of my things. It's one of William's William's fi- uh, favorite things. So, uh, so how about um, so? Did you, at the time when you were medical director, so Frank, so you left uh, being a medical director and went back to just being uh, no, no more of that before COVID, right? Or did you get caught? Yeah, I'm still a medical director. You still are? Yeah. Okay. So good. All right. So how much, how much training did, did you do in medical school and the Army? For pan and or the army for pandemic type of stuff like they surely they they would have you would have said okay there's normal day to day stuff there's severe ER stuff and then here's global crisis type of thing where congratulations you're now in the profession where you're kind of in the MVP circle uh, when these things Uh hit right so Uh tell me tell me a little bit about that well that's a very short conversation because really didn't get hardly any at all. See, that was my guess also. Yeah. No one, no one really, everybody talks about pandemics, but outside of like public health and epidemiology, they don't really train for that per se. You know, you you do train for epidemics. Uh Like you expect, you know, flu uh, epidemics, uh, different epidemics, you know, measles, uh, things like that. But on a global scale, no, I mean, realistically speaking, unless you're, Actually, I can't imagine anyone alive right now, unless you're like 113 or something like that, that remembers the last pandemic. Right. I mean, that was like 19, 1918. Spanish flu, so, right? Yeah, Spanish influenza. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's not something that occurs very often, but something that we always need to prepare for just because of you, know, you see what happens when we're not prepared. Yeah, mm. yeah. But <laughs> as far as your, your question to how much training do I have to deal with it, Barely any. I mean, other than a brief history lesson on on prior pandemics, you know, uh, Spanish influenza and uh, uh, um, the Black Plague and things like that. Mm-hmm. It was more anecdotal. Here's what happened right. in history, but nothing right. like this is what you would do. Step one, step two, step three. Right. Which is the difference between your training for the mass casualty situation and the training for a pandemic. Where yes. you're like actually going through, because that's what training would be like, right? You, what you would want to do, presumably, is like go through the steps that you would yeah. actually do on a regular basis and have it part of your routine. But since it's so rare, yeah. it doesn't really make sense to fit in when there's like a million other things that you need to be training yeah. on. Yep. Yeah. So, this so that seemed to be the answer to that is like just that's just not a it's not a thing that we do. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so what? So when you're so you're medical director and you're in charge of what what we do when, I uh, so I would suppose you're in charge of training. Right. And making sure everybody has their CEUs and those things up to speed and make sure you have a trained staff. Uh, and is that is that something something that you're kind of in charge of as well? Oh, that's delegated. I, I sign off on that. But uh, there's a, a center director that that kind of oversees the human resources aspect of it, mm-hmm. which includes credentialing and 
and uh, uh, keeping up with their uh, licensure and, and things of that nature. And that usually in, involves having, uh, you know, continuing education and, right. and mm. getting all that. So I don't, I'm not actively involved in that. I just sign off on making sure that all of those I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Yeah. Continuing education unit, I think, a CEU. Is that right? Uh, that's for, yeah, that's for, sort of stuff for, for uh, physicians, it's, it's called CMEs. Right? Okay. Continuous medical education. But, right. Yeah. I think because because uh, the wife uh, the uh, nurse has CES or CEUs and she has to have so yeah. many units of of continuing education per year or per yes. whatever uh, it is. Right? Huh, interesting. So so she uh, and they they have like a selection that you have to pick from a list and then you some of them are mandatory and but based on what you work on right. and some are elective and then you can go okay I need eighteen in this year so I'm gonna do da, 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 and then you do an online you read about it and you do an online class that's at least the nurse's experience. Uh-huh. So. So, uh, you're medical director and this pandemic hits. Okay. Uh So you're sitting there in say December of this year. What Uh kind of news were you looking at? And did you, did you raise an eyebrow or was it serious enough yet? Uh, what, or what, what did the medical community do around November or December ish? There were, there were rumors here here and there. Basically In, in December, we heard something going on in China. Um, we heard about uh, uh, one physician that was trying to uh, set the alarm that there was a, a, a novel virus that was going around. Uh, you may remember there was uh, one that was mm-hmm. reprimanded by the uh, yep. government for, uh, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, uh, basically espousing that, um, saying that it was, you know, causing fear and whatnot. And come to find out, he was actually uh, correct. But there were rumors. But we uh, at that time, it did, really didn't concern me much that's way over there in the other side of the world and periodically you see things pop up uh, uh you know in the east uh with SARS and MERS uh, and whatnot and, and it's a it's a concern certainly man. um but I definitely at that point in time didn't really hit that we were it was going to be as serious as it was yeah. or as it was coming to be right because uh, I, I had heard about uh, the two one, the two that I heard about, I at least recently was the swine flu and and the SARS with the bird, uh, uh-huh. a, uh, avian flu type thing, right? So yeah. th- those two, but it never really made a big, super splash national. There's some national news, but but the news, uh, the you know the national news is more about okay, l- let's get look at our clicks. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to put some panic in here. And so it's hard to know whether w- is it click panic or is it real panic, right? Um, so none, those kind of came and went, didn't make a huge dent in either the workforce or any of that, any of that business um, or the economy or any, any, you know, didn't shut down any borders because of it. I don't, I don't think, not that, not that I can recall, um, nothing like that. So... At what point did you did you turn, or, or what did you hear that made made everything turn for you and go, oh, oh, wait a second, <laughs> we got something? I think it was late January, early February when cases were rising in you know the Wuhan province, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you were seeing that at, at the how rapid it was increasing, how rapidly it was increasing. That's when it kind of the alarms were starting to go off that. Okay, this is becoming serious enough that other countries need to be concerned about this. You know, even at that point, I I don't think it, a lot of people were thinking that that this was going to become a pandemic. It just had had the capability of doing so. 
Right. So if you look at COVID, it has everything that makes it a perfect virus to become uh, pandemic worthy, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's easily spread. It, uh, it spreads in asymptomatic people. And third, it's not overtly significantly lethal. You know, you know my, what I mean by that is if it's, if it's extremely lethal, it'll kill itself out. Right. Right. Because it's right. so, and it won't last very long. But it's it's more lethal than flu. I mean, the last estimates I think they said it was ten times as lethal as flu. So it's lethal enough. But uh, most people don't really get that sick from it. Or if you do, you get you get somewhat ill, but you get over it. And mm -hmm. so that that's kind of a perfect concoction for this virus to spread like it did. Right. right. So, yeah, it was about February when I was. I remember telling like family members. Uh, um, my wife's family members, they were, they were like, you know, I think this, this is just the media kind of overblowing things. And I remember telling them, no, you need to take this seriously. I guarantee you this is going to be a lot worse in a month. Now, I had no idea it was going to be to the extent that it was, but I knew that it was going to spread uh, uh, to other countries. Right. So I, I had... We, you had identified those traits that made it so that it could spread so well. Yes. You know, I, don't, I don't think I've heard anybody talk about how the lethality is in the right range. To be dangerous because if it was too lethal it would not be so bad and you know far far reducing lethality it wouldn't be so bad as well but it's in like the perfect spot sure. yeah, describing it as as uh, covid having these appropriate op, uh, attributes for being a pandemic makes a lot of sense like as i mean obviously as we look at it right mm -hmm. this is why it's so terrifying yeah and you and you, you diagnosed that in january <laughs> which uh, i mean i guess you know people are still out there saying that covid is not dangerous yeah still right now right Right. So, so then, um, so I guess, uh, William and I were sitting in February. We have a convention at the okay. end of February in Boston with 30,000 other schmoes. Right. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Right. And so, well, I mean, yeah. So, I, 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 if I had a, any hindsight, if I would do any hindsight, I would have not gone to Boston for sure. Like, that was, that was I mean, so dangerous. I guess, but but we but we didn't know we didn't know, right? It, it's, yeah, I mean, we, yeah. At the time, at the, at the time, we we had plane tickets. We're not rich dudes. We got plane tickets. We got hotels booked. Like we we're on, yeah. we're in this thing. You're right. We're and anyway. best all and and for me for the civilian in this, not having a ton of understanding about lethality and R value and all of that business at the time. Mm -hmm. What I what I what I took from it was okay. This is this is just a bad flu, right? It's just a bad flu season. It's going to get well. E even if it's more lethal than the flu, it's it's still the flu. And I'll, I've gotten the flu a couple times, right? Uh, maybe every fourth year, I'll I'll hit one or something like that, and I'll get a, get a bad one, and then I'm off for a week, and then we're all done. No, you know, no one I know dies no one it doesn't make national news there's not really any statistics that that the news shows me i don't get any i don't get any headline graphs about it other than you know um other than in 2016 i think i got it uh i got the flu and um i think it, by then i think trump had already won the election in november i think i got it and then the joke was yeah i got the flu thanks obama you know, <laughs> it was because the thanks Obama meme was out there. It still right? works. Still works. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I guess, any, yeah, we're in 2019. Uh, thanks, Obama. He's been out of office three, 2020, three years. Obama still too. So your, your concern was much higher than mine at this time. 
Right. I, I was not concerned at all. I was looking at it and I was going, okay, we're, we're, we're going to go there. We're probably going to get sick. We're going to see a bunch of masks there. William and I are probably going to get sick coming home because see, it's a bad, any masks at it's, all? it's a bad, fl oh no, I saw him. Did you see masks? You remember my statement? And you know who had it right? Uh, you know who had it right? I, I didn't see any, other than cosplay. There's lots of cosplay, right? Uh, there okay. it's, it's a gaming convention, uh, doc. It's, it's a bunch of nerds. Uh, so, uh, but I saw everybody who was non U non us, um, like the, the Japanese guy we met, everybody from, uh, everybody from Asia who was coming over from Asia, all of them had masks, all of them. <laughs> so we had, there was a, there was remember we, we met a guy from that Japanese magazine, uh, had a mask on. He was a Nintendo guy. He was coming over like he had Nintendo magazine or something. He was a magazine guy, and he took he had right. he had he was the one that had cameras on uh, front and back, and he had a little chest thing on. And we were asking about his camera. He was masked up. He was from Japan. Uh, a couple other folks uh, from I think it was I think it was a couple of Thai people. They all had masks on. So everybody, I mean, it was this is where a lot of people from all over the world meet in here, like a bunch of Europeans, all of this stuff. None of the Europeans had yeah. masks. None of the Americans had masks. Everybody from Asia had them. And I went. I like this commentary because I, I do really believe that it's a cultural thing to wear these masks. Absolutely. I feel like USA does not accept it culturally. Absolutely. They just yeah. Don't. Yeah. And it's yeah, and, and it's maybe Europe as well. I'm not sure so much about. Right. But there's a lot of you know uh, Asian countries, and I think maybe even India is a, a little bit more accepting of the masks. I don't know, man. So so we get so I get home, and actually I leave that convention a day early. March first, we were supposed to you come do. home. March second, you were you were pretty spooked when you were leaving, by the way. And I was, uh, I was, I had sniffles. I started feeling weird Saturday night uh, when we were hanging out with Glurms and Diz, right? And then um, it was suit day, suit night. Come home and um, I wake up early. I get breakfast and my flight was Monday. I'm on Sunday morning. My flight was Monday, and I and I had about 25 hours before takeoff. And the thing is, I lose money if I reschedule or cancel 24 hours. So I had one hour to make a decision of do I go home today or do I go home early. And I said, all right, I feel bad enough. I'm out of here. So I, I took off because what I was seeing on the news, I did some Googling for about 15 minutes. And I saw one guy saying one guy was quarantined in a marine barracks for two weeks. Uh, some some other place. There was someone in New York was quarantined. L.A. They're quarantined. It was right March first. It, it's just starting to come over. People getting quarantined, and I'm going. I don't want to get quarantined in Boston by a bunch of Marines. I'm out of here. Like I'm gone. <laughs> so that's what he told me too. He was like, I don't want to get quarantined. I don't want to get quarantined. Okay. And so I basically like wrapped my face up in my jacket, and I just went home. I try not to look or breathe or any anything. <laughs> Anything. I basically tucked my face into my jacket and, and and flew home. Right. I just stayed stayed to myself. Got home. I came home sick. I was off work, and I, I had to tell my bosses, "Hey, guess what?" Uh, and, and this the news is breaking right now. It's, it's first week of March. I said, "Guess what?" Yeah. I traveled, and I'm sick. <laughs> and they went, oh, "Stay home." So uh, I I don't said, "Don't come toward us." Yeah. Don't. So I work from home for a week. And I had, uh, I'll tell you, man, I had uh, like five of the seven symptoms, right? It is, it is, you know, uh, fever, coughing, runny nose, sore throat, um, uh, all um, then body aches, fatigue, 
and I don't know what one other one I had. I'd never had fever, and I never really had body aches, but I was tired. I've just I'd just done a convention, right? Turns out uh, uh, later on, I got a COVID blood test to see if I had had it back in March. You remember this? Um, uh, so, yeah. So so then so somewhere around May, I, I'm trying to. I, it's okay. So here's the thing: is I went in March and I said, okay, I'm. I'm sick right now. Can I get a COVID test? So I'm Googling everywhere and they're going, you know, I, so I call up my doctor and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm sniffling and sneezing all this other business. And, and, uh, they said, but are you dying? And I said, no, I am not dying. And they said, good, stay home, try and get over it. Yeah. And, uh, I said, but like, I think I'll give blood. I'll be a part of the experiment. If I can get a diagnosis, no, no, no. Are you dying? And I said, no, I'm not dying. And they said, good, you're staying home. We're not, we're not doing it. <laughs> good. I said, okay, I'm staying home. I'm not going to be part of the deal. So that was March. May, I get an, like some email from some company that says, hey, we're setting up clinics in your area. Uh, one of them is an outdoor and one of them is an indoor. Uh, and you can go get a COVID test for $60. And if you want, if you're having symptoms, you can get the, you know, the, the back of the nose swab with the six foot long Q-tip. Yeah. Or Ouch. you can get uh, the antibody. It's a scraper. I'm going to Yeah. The antibody test, which is the blood test, right? To test if you have had it, if your body has developed antibodies. So they said, look, if you're having symptoms now, don't get it. Don't get uh, don't get the blood test because you won't have developed antibodies now. If you're having symptoms, get the nose. But if you've had the symptoms and you just want the antibody test, then come in and we'll do a blood draw. So I go in. Uh, Everybody's so. This is May. Everybody's distancing. Everybody's masked up. I'm st- I'm chilling there, and the nurse, as she as she wipes me down, wipes me down again, sticks a needle and starts drawing the blood, and as she is piercing my skin, breaks into the longest and most violent coughing fit in history, <laughs> and she starts coughing as my blood is exposed. She starts into this violent coughing I mean, fit, and I'm going. The needle. What are you? Doing? <laughs> you have it already. I was like, you well, it. I guess we're do- I guess we're doing this the second time, you know. So she's going. Excuse me. So I'm so sorry, sir. Ah! I'm so sorry. Ah! And she's coughing like crazy. And so I'm going. Oh, oh, oh I don't know. So she man- manages to get over it, buttons me up, and I run like I sprint out of that place, <laughs> get out. And just and uh, and run away. Turns out uh, they they send off the blood to someone. It's forty eight hours. They sent me back an email. On, it was Thursday. I got an email on Saturday, negative, no COVID antibodies. So apparently, now, sucker. back in March, uh, I did not have it. Uh, apparently, I don't know. It said it was accurate to ninety percent. It was the was the antibody test. So right? one out of ten times, it's wrong. Yeah. I mean that's kind of high. Listen to Doc, like it's that is kind of high, right? How twenty percent uh, inaccurate? Okay, right, twenty percent. Yeah, as high as twenty percent. So th- it's not a good what test. What about the test at the time? What's the accuracy? On yeah, that? what's the accuracy on the swab? Yeah, that's twenty eighty percent. Oh, that oh the swab is eighty percent. Yes, uh, no. About what about the antibody? Is ninety percent accurate? Uh, that I don't have a specific. I think that sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. The, she, they the said about the antibodies is that you could lose the antibodies as well by the time you've had testing yes. too. Yeah. yeah. The problem is these tests are not, you know, you have sensitivity and specificity. It has to be positive and positive people. It has to be negative and negative people. Right. And, and the positive part, it's, 
you know, at best, I think they're saying about 20% on the swaps. So you, yeah, you, uh, you do 100 of them, 20 people, you don't catch the uh, uh, positive case of COVID. Per like, look at this perfect pandemic, right? Yeah. The, it, it's the great R value, the perfect lethal lethality, and the te it's so new, the testing is sketch, super sketch, yeah. right? And it kind of takes two weeks to get the result now, pretty yep. much. So. Yeah. Yeah, and you're you're over it by then. <laughs> you're, you're, you're either over it or yeah, test. right, yeah. right. But my yeah. blood test was two days, and they sent it back to me Saturday, and they and I tested negative. And the See, okay, I I also I had the the in nose test mm -hmm. when I ended up in the hospital for mm -hmm. a very bad flu, is what what it was apparently. Right. When I was told, and I got a negative also, and I call BS on my negative test. Okay, because I I definitely feel like you you and I Blake caught it while we were in. In Boston, for sure. Like the coughing that I had, all the I mean, yeah. saying all I have all the symptoms. Yeah, I know the symptoms are very similar to the flu. The, there is there was one symptom that I found. All right, I don't know if this is a thing that we've noticed. Is like uh, since it's a, a blood cell thing as well, COVID. There is a an effect that I had on parts of my body where it started like scabbing over and flaking off. This is I've seen this online. I don't know if this is even true right. or not. But I had that, and it's not a normal flu thing. I'll have to show you. You know what we need to do is we should have we should have a doctor or somebody on to ask about these yeah, symptoms and what is really going on. They always find new symptoms. It looks like for this, right? right. But uh, three so, symptoms that we've consistently shown to be very likely COVID are fever, cough, and shortness of breath. Hmm. Those three kind of seems to be the gold standard. Uh, uh, symptoms for COVID. Now, it's granted, you have the other symptoms. Rash, actually, and conjunctivitis, that's, and that does occur in some because of the uh, inflammatory aspect. You know how children are having the uh, um, Kawasaki-type symptoms, and uh, you have the coagulopathy? Well, yes. Um, yeah, that's... Mm, um, I didn't understand that. Sorry, could you... So, in normal people? Well, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted you to cover that the what's going on with coagulopathy because I heard this on a science-related podcast and I wanted to ask you about it. What what What's going on with that? Because the coagulopathy that's going on with the hemoglobin is super interesting. So, if you could tell us what, what we think the virus is attacking, if you know about it, and then what symptoms that would cause. Mm. So, the coagulopathy is basically is where the blood has a high propensity to clot. And, and the exact mechanism is not known, but what we think it is, it's due to inflammation. So, like for instance, like Kawasaki disease in children, uh, that causes inflammation in the blood vessels. And because it has inflammation in blood vessels, uh, blood vessels the uh, blood cells tend to have a higher chance of clotting. And so you actually, like in Kawasaki disease, in children under, like five and under, you can have heart attacks, believe it or not. Dang. Because, Just of, because of the, okay. Yeah. So uh, um, so that's what you're seeing in somebody like that one, um, I think that Broadway actor that ended up dying recently, he, he had a like, pretty bad case of COVID where he lost his legs and then he had his lungs uh, fail on him. He needed a lung transplant and he ultimately passed away. But he had that uh, to, to a really severe degree. Wow. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, uh, they were uh, what there was an ER. The one I listened to, I think it was a, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was like scabs inside the blood vessels. Yeah, that, that sort of thing. It's it's yeah, it's it's clotting, etc. And so See, it's that, that's why I think that I had COVID because I had that on my feet. I had this weird like it, I mean, it looked like dead skin coming off, and I linked a, a thing to it in chat. 
for this. I've never experienced it before. I never had trouble with my feet before. I thought it was like something totally unrelated, but I had it right as I was sick. These this COVID toe thing. Uh, this is I, my my test came back negative, but the COVID. No, I'm convinced. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Weird. What I would say to that though is because of the kind of high inaccuracy of these tests, I w- uh, you may not be wrong. Um, right. Uh, uh, when it comes to medicine, the test never should be the ultimately uh, de- defining factor. It's uh, it's medical acumen. So you go by you're like almost a detective in a way. You go by what the signs and the evidence shows, and then you use tests to either corroborate your thinking or to rule things out. Okay. But yeah, but, but you don't generally just rely on a test uh, uh, to to rule in or rule out something completely. You know, that's right. really interesting to say that because yeah. I had never thought of it that way before. But so, now when you say it like that, it seems obvious. So here we yeah, go. So th- this is my this is my thought about doctors, and I, I have no idea why the uh, the society today is so dismissive of expertise. I have I have no idea. The reason why doctors earn such a good paycheck is not because there is an AI that can diagnose and judge and, 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 or a, an AI that can diagnose somebody in WebMD and you can check out these symptoms. What, right. what we pay doctors so much so big money for is judgment, right? That, that's, what it, that's what it ultimately does. And that's kind of what he's saying is, look, uh, a test is one piece of data. Some, some, in, the te- in the case of something like... Um, I don't know. Um, what's an example of a really good high accuracy test that is like you can you can just about hang your hat on a positive one. That's that that's a really oh, good one. Very good test. What's that? Strep test. Strep. 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 Strep, uh-huh. strep throat. Right. That's a pretty. That's a great example of a really good one. If it's positive, eh? Yeah, you pretty much got it. It's it's a it's repeatable. It's been consistent. It's cheap. It's uh, had it's had the million times run and million times over. It's an older type of condition that w- the medical community has 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 just run through the ringer so many times, right? And it's a good one that everybody can go. Okay, we got we have a good damn test, right? High accuracy, uh, easy to run, very quick, all that business. COVID test is not a good test, right? It's very, very new, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's super early in the time in the process. High inaccuracy. Uh, it's going to miss a lot. It's also got a two week window to get the results back. So, lots of problems with that test. And what you what you the reason why you want good medicine, good medical doctors is is what he was saying that medical acumen is judgment. That's why WebMD will not uh, WebMD alone will not suffice for a doctor. Right? You need judgment. Right. Let me just prop up your uh, profession there. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a big takeaway for me, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, so yeah, it, it's, it, would be, it would be part of your doctor's complete profile. So you would get a flu test, maybe. It might be positive for flu. His doctor, uh, so William's doctor also said, all right, um, uh, it's likely not both. Usually the thing is, no, it doesn't. Uh, it does. You don't usually don't get flu and COVID at the same time, which was what they said to William, right? I almost died though. Okay, listen. I know. <laughs> Are you dying? Yes, probably. <laughs> okay, no, come I in. Wasn't, I wasn't dying. I mean, I I did pass out. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I did test positive for flu as well. Right. So. Uh-huh. Right. Well, sure I that think that's uh, one thing I learned uh, 
And uh, well, I've been practicing medicine now, what, tw- uh, 18 years or something like that. And you can't ever say no- nothing is impossible. Right. Yeah. I've said that before, and I've been wrong when I've said it. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. uh, because, uh, like, for instance, I've had patient that was positive for, this was before COVID, for strep, for mono, and flu at the same time. No one would expect you to have that the wow. trifecta. But I've actually had that tested positive for all three. And they were sick as a dog. But, yeah, so... I mean, is it unlikely? Yeah, I'd say very unlikely that you would have both, considering both can be pretty bad and lethal in some cases. Mm-hmm. But I, I would imagine there's some scenarios where you could have both. Yeah. You just, if you're the unlucky person that happens to get exposed to both illnesses. I mean, think about this fall, coming fall. This fall is very scary to look at because flu season is about to kick in in a couple of months. And if COVID is, it's going to linger around. We, we don't have a vaccine uh, mm-hmm. for it. So we will have to deal with both at the same time. And uh, and I, I can only just imagine what kind of uh, nightmare that's going to be for the medical infrastructure trying to deal with uh, both uh, both of the uh, illnesses at the same time. So what did you, with as a hospital, uh, I guess, a manager, what did, what did the things that your, what did your hospital do in March? April, May, June. How, how take us through the months and what hap, What what is your what state is the hospital in now? We don't. We're not going to mention any locations or names, in, so you can tell us honestly. Don't don't think about giving your hospital a bad name necessarily, but uh, right. But what kind of what were the phases by month that you guys did, and how did you prepare for it? Were you caught? What were you caught blindsided? What did you do a good job on, et cetera? Well, I can only speak from the, from a clinical standpoint because I don't do uh, the hospital aspect anymore. But just uh, from my colleagues and from what we were going through, the big issue was, one, how rapidly this was uh, uh, spreading, just this, the, the, how quickly it was spreading. That was shocking. And, then, and how much of the lack of infrastructure that we had. We'd, I mean, uh, we you know, I mean, as you saw in the news, there was just a severe lack of PPE. Uh, there were no masks, gowns, uh, masks that you typically would throw use once. I mean, it's not standard right. infectious disease protocol to wear these masks over and over again. Right. That that would be so. I mean, so beyond uh, the the outside of norm. But that's where it came to very quickly that we could not feasibly do that and be able to sustain taking care of people. Uh, and we would essentially run out of all of our equipment within a few weeks. And at that point, uh, I can only imagine how badly things would have gotten because then, uh, you know, ho- a hospital and clinic staff would all start getting sick and they'll eventually get to a point where there's no one to actually treat the people right. that are coming to uh, treat. And so th- we went from initially uh, wearing the mask uh, you know, typically uh, using it once and throwing it away to then using it for the whole day. That kind of became the next thing. And then it became, oh, uh, you're going to you need to wear it for a week. You know, for five days, you have to wear it. Same mask. Yeah, yeah same mask. And they then, quick. yeah, they do. And I mean, they get sold very easily. I mean, if you just talk normal talking, and uh, you, they, you get moisture inside the mask. So, yeah. And so uh, we went from that to the, uh, the next phase was basically you wear the mask for a week and then you save it 
and let it dry out, and then we, you re-wear it in, in four weeks. And so you would go through the cycle of wearing a, one mask, saving it, and then wearing it four weeks later. Ugh. And then people were trying to uh, uh, reuse their, uh, uh, um, you know, their gowns. Those are very, those are not, those are flimsy. You can't reuse those. People are trying to spray them down with Lysol. I mean, I saw some poor nurses that were trying to use trash bags, you know, with duct tape to try to create their own PPE. It it was a a nightmare. And it's really still, I mean, it's it's mind boggling that we have the capability that we do in this country. I mean, the wealthiest country that ever existed ever and we we can't yeah i mean without a doubt yeah. there's no second place uh that's even close and we and uh, we we were in that scenario and still are i mean we haven't changed really yeah uh, it's terrifying honestly to, yeah. to hear i knew this right we knew the ppe was a big problem to hear it from someone who's you know actively working in a hospital where yeah god so so now um, so now has what what has what has gotten better since it first kind of hit? So what happened it was so talk about you the hospital or the clinical occupancy or, or the hospital occupancy in your area was it because what what I heard from unless you were in a hot spot something like New York, most other places hospitals were empty because what they didn't want to do was, um, they didn't want to get uh, welcome, uh, Bold Viking Raiders. This month. we're on with uh, an actual doctor talking about uh, COVID. So uh, an actual doctor, we know one. So uh, it, it, at some point, it was hospitals are overrun, and we saw the freezer trucks uh, act, acting as morti- mortician trucks taking people to the city morgue, right? And then on the other side of the country, or in middle middle America empty hospitals, no elective surgeries, none of that business. They were having to lay off and furlough staff because um, we were just saying like, um, saying like, look, if you have some sort of knee surgery that you have to get, hold off. Don't go to the hospital right now because it's a pandemic, right? So all of these other other things, all of the stuff that makes hospitals money and keeps people employed, eh, gone. Let's let's make sure it's COVID and, and be aware of COVID, right? So so how did, how did the hospital occupancy or, or maybe your clinical attendance happen over time, right? Yeah, so you, you bring up a good point. So, you know, yeah, at that time, New York and the Northeast was where, where the epicenter was. And everywhere else was kind of in different phases, depending on what part of the country you were in. Texas at that time, we were not really too bad off, considering. But in April, yeah, we saw... In my claim, we saw probably a forty percent decrease in, in in just volume. Yep. And I know a lot of hospitals did too, because, like you said, uh, they collect you know stopped uh, elective surgeries. Now hospitals hospitals are not a big money maker anyway. It's not a real <laughs> business model per se, uh, in of itself. Uh, but elective surgeries are how hospitals really make money. Right. Uh, so you can see all the COVID patients you want that come in, but that really doesn't generate a lot of revenue. It's the, it's the knee surgery or the hip surgery or all these uh, elective surgeries, you know, or casts, things of that nature. Not all casts. Some casts are obviously uh, uh, emergent, but, uh, but these procedures are what pays for a lot of things in the hospital setting. And so everything was COVID based in like here in Texas, we didn't have like tremendous amounts of COVID. It was, it was, it was enough to be alarming, but 
not not to like the levels of New York, certainly. Right. Right. So recently, we've seen well before these past few weeks, uh, probably I say before Labor,、uh, I mean Memorial Day,、um, mm. things were starting to ramp up. Elective surgeries were coming back. People were kind of going back to their normal you know, way of things. I mean, as close as you can、mm-hmm. scenario. But then, I'd say from Memorial Day on is when things just started ramping up, and uh, uh, from then on, it was just kind of pedal to the metal.、Uh, things are getting worse again. Wow. So, so what's so what's the state now? Is it、uh, like what percentage are you seeing? Are you guys overrun with COVID, or is it you know seventy percent, or is it、uh, a small minority, or or in my <clears throat> specifically, we we don't see a lot of COVID because we send those on、um, to get tested at outside facilities,、mm-hmm. so we don't see a lot of that. But I know from、uh, in the hospital settings,、uh, they're at two hundred you know plus percent where they were. So、uh, at this point in time. The, uh, hospitalizations have gone up. So have、uh, intensive care unit、uh, admissions, and then unfortunately fatality. Good news, if there is a good news to this, I think we've learned a lot, and we're getting better at treating it,、right. or keeping people alive.、Right. So if you're not seeing this exponential growth in deaths as of as of yet, hopefully it stays that way.、Mm-hmm. But、um, uh, as with anything, there's a lag time to this. You know, I, I heard one one、uh, physician describe it. It was a very good way to describe how how Um, when you look at the numbers of COVID right now, it's not real time. It's like looking at a star. When you look at a star, you're seeing light from years ago. Yeah, you're not seeing that star as it is right. Millions, millions of、uh, years ago, that star was that color, and it's just、yeah. now getting to us, right? Yeah. So same thing with COVID. What you see now, you'll see the effects two weeks from now, roughly speaking, because most、right. people get symptoms about five to ten days after exposure, and so. Uh, if you're seeing, unless something significantly changes, what you see now, it's going to be worse two weeks from now.、Mm. Man, yeah, I think it's something to keep in mind as we look at stats, because I, I think some people can be lulled in a sense of security by the current stats, but and then and then you know they're assuming it's going to go down, but it might have already been. You know, this two weeks was the worst two weeks. Yep, and it's. Yeah. So, what what kind of new things are are on the on the docket for treatment? So, when we first got a bunch of cases in New York in March, it was they're having trouble breathing. Put them on a ventilator, and like eighty percent of people on a ventilator died. We didn't、mm-hmm. have any, we didn't know about treatment. We heard、uh, we heard Orange Man come out and say, like, look, there's this hydroxychloroquine. There's some zinc. There's all this other good stuff. We're we're、uh, yeah, you should you should just go. Just, just chug this stuff because it's great.、Uh, you shouldn't yeah. Chug this stuff,、right? What do you got to lose, right? Well, what do you got to lose, right? So, uh, <laughs> so Lysol.、Uh, yeah, we we saw we saw we heard a bunch of stuff in March that was just hey we're grasping at straws trying to find something、uh-huh. that works. We've got three、yeah. months now of and lots more cases. Have we made any advance advancements on hey this thing seems to work? Um, and it's a direction. Now, what we should what we should、uh, what we should say is that everything that Doc says is needs to be verified by a peer reviewed study, clinical trials, all of those sorts of things. But the、uh, and and uh, before, uh, no one should go out and necessarily take action on any of these things. And、uh, but 
Um, but doctors, what they're trying to do now is they're, they're doing what they're doing. They're following uh, evidence-based medicine. They're relying on each other and others' reports of what is working and doing you know, things that are, that are risk-appropriate, saying, like, look, I've heard in these types of cases this is working, and this patient's on the road to uh, a bad place, so we're gonna, it's as low risk. We're going to try this thing over here and see if it works. One, one other thing, like the coagulopathy, if they start to have that, they have start to have dropping O2 sets. Blood thinners seems to be one that, that is, a, is one that's, uh, that, they're, that they're, they're putting people on when they come in for COVID because— blood thinner. Blood thinners, right. Uh, and because oh, of that, of that coagulopathy that they were that that they're coming in with, and um, the the report was from this ER doctor was you put that little O2 sat on, for example on your on your finger, and O2 sats are like in the ninety percent percent range is, is good right. If you're like sixties and seventies, you're fitting to pass out, bro. Like you're you're usually usually gone. Okay. Now COVID rolls around. And there's people who come in and they put this O2 sat on their on their fingers and they're reading in the high fifties, low sixties. But they're chilling. They're on yeah. their iPad. They're doing Happy hypoxia, I call it. What's that? Happy hypoxia. Happy hypoxia. You're right. So they're just okay, just chilling. They're so, not yeah, uh it, they're not even they're not even no big deal, no problemo, and they're talking so they to you. Realize they have shortness of breath effectively. Well, they don't even realize it's, they're not it's something. It's, it's it reads your the O2 level in your blood, and so what they're because doing. Of the inflammation, maybe. What doctors uh, in some places are doing is putting people on blood thinners because it's the hemoglobin. Some people have the hemoglobin reaction, all that other scabbing stuff. Hmm. That's one example of a group of doctors who are trying some things, trying to make some headway on treatment. So. Doc, do you have anything, uh, uh, if you want to elaborate anything on that co on that coagulopathy thing or anything else that seems to be working or good news in the treatment realm? Well, I mean, uh, I probably don't have anything new to add that people haven't heard about in the news, I would say. I mean, you have the hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc, mm -hmm. which you had mentioned. Um, there's a, a Ford study that's showing it's a, a retrospective study so it's looking back so those aren't the best studies obviously double blind where you, where you give it to people you don't know who's getting it and then you see how it affects them is the best study mm -hmm. uh method um that shows some promise with hydroxychloroquine but then you have studies from nih university of minnesota uh, oxford university world health organization that show no benefit with uh, hydroxychloroquine so I would say, I mean, no one can really say definitively with, without um, some reservation on on how accurate their information is, whether hydroxychloroquine works or not. But right now, there's more studies that show it doesn't work. Right. So I would not go out and just try to start taking this. Uh, <laughs> definitely not prophylactically. Right. Um, but it, um, but uh, um, right now, let's say the jury is kind of leaning towards it's, it's not beneficial. There is the remdesivir, the antiviral drug. That has some promise, um, but that's an IV medication. It can, um, there's no uh, pill for it. It has to be, it can only be administered in a, with a, a intravenous um, a method in a hospital setting. They are thinking about uh, looking in, into an aerosol intranasal uh, form of that. Um, um, but uh, what, that has yet to be seen if that's uh, if that's going to come to fruition. And then uh, obviously uh, there's a ton of uh, countries that are working on uh, on a uh, vaccine. Uh, this is probably 
the, one of the largest concerted efforts in the world on one particular illness or disease mm. to try to find a vaccine. Problem is, is what normal vaccines come to market after about 10 years. Right. You know, it's, we're trying to do it in six months to a year, maybe 18 months. You have to take a lot of leaps and uh, on faith on that. Uh, we would not even be talking about some of these vaccines this early on. Uh, nor in in uh, in uh, if this were a normal situation, right. it'd be years right. down the road. You know, when, when we go to clinical trial phase, you know, years beyond uh, or when they start uh, producing this stuff. Um, but now they're just if they have a promise, these companies are told to just start mass producing it because if it even has the smallest chance of working, we're going to start administering it uh, or, or, or attempt to even, yeah. and not really knowing if it works or not. And, and unfortunately uh, these companies, uh, a lot of these companies will make a, uh, a ton of this uh, vaccine and they're going to lose money on it's it. Gonna flush, you know? you got to flush yeah. it if it, if it doesn't pan yeah. out, right? Doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's kind of sad that uh, I mean, really we're grasping its flaws. We're trying to, we're trying to. We're basically throwing rocks in the dark and trying to hit something and see if something does hit. Yeah, and it, even, is what yeah. I mean. and it's not like it's definitively hitting. If it even comes remotely close, we're like jumping on it. Okay, let's give this. <laughs> a, maybe it's worth, it's worth worth a shot. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't envy the medical community on this because I got the whole. The entire planet is looking to basically these these clinicians who are doing all this research work, this antiviral research work and going like we're oh, yeah. count, we're counting work on faster. you. Yeah. Work faster. We got, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta come through for us. I mean, it just speaks to how terrified everyone is about yeah. like how big a deal it is. And, how and, and, this, leaps is. and uh, one thing you have to think of is also, we may not ever find a, a vaccine. Not all of the diseases. Can we find a vaccine? For it? Right. Yeah. There's no guarantee. Uh, yeah. there's absolutely no guarantee. Right. Um, and, and there's also no guarantee that, uh, oh yeah. Do, do you, is there any, do you have any good studies that show that, uh, you get it once a year and you're done like the flu or is it a repeatable type of thing or, or what is the evidence showing for repeat, repeat contact? We don't know. So damn, <laughs> being a, ne- a novel it's coronavirus is not what I wanted to hear. Okay. I'm going to tell you that right now. Right. With people that develop antibodies, we don't know how long they last. Right. If you look at majority of of, uh, diseases at some point the uh the uh antibodies wane that's why you need a booster even with diseases that have uh those diseases vary some are two years some are five years ten years Mm -hmm. um so we're brand new territory with this coronavirus we don't know first of all if you develop antibodies does it protect you against it can you get reinfected or do you protect you from reinfection it does how long does it protect you? Mm-hmm. How long does it wane? Or yeah. if you develop antibodies, could you only develop certain a certain few and then you get a cytokine storm where the first time you get okay, this is an interesting phenomenon where you where you get a you get a uh, an infection you get a, you're infected with a virus and then you get some antibodies but it's not quite enough. And then the, the next time you're exposed, there's a fight between your antibodies and the virus and your immune system gets in there and it messes you up bad. Right. Did I explain a cytokine storm? Yeah, that can happen. Yeah. So there's oh, that. We don't know. Th- those are definite possibilities um, of 
how many, you know, uh, what he was saying is, do we, if you, if you develop antibodies, how much do you develop? How much does a typical patient is? Is it enough to protect you? If it's not enough to protect you, if it's too little, maybe it just doesn't protect you a second time, or if it's right in this little sweet spot, there's bad news for a second for your second lap because your immune system is going to get triggered and it'll 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 put you down man it's it's rough right now on the flip side of that there is some good news i'd say so uh, the theory now they've they've been looking into the theory of why do some people get the uh get covid but don't have any symptoms they're asymptomatic or those that have very mild symptoms and um some of the theories i've heard on that is that having other coronaviruses might give you some protection right normal yeah, cold so, no more cold is yeah. a is a good example of coronavirus right yes so if you've had possibly a coronavirus that's somewhat similar to covid 19 you might be somewhat protected and in some cases you might be asymptomatic you're just a carrier of it but you don't develop any symptoms to it and okay. and 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 in the big picture of things most people will get this and either have no symptoms or very minimal symptoms, or you'll get a little sick and right. uh, you'll get better. The problem is, is that small percentage where it will wreak havoc. You know, it'll cause significant symptoms, lead to hospitalization, lead to intensive care, or even death. Now, in the big scheme of things, the number is very small, but that small number with 6 billion people is a large number. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. And then it's, it's a small number until it affects someone you love or it affects you. Then it's not a small number. It's 100%. Right. And this is why we needed the PPE to try to sure. reduce this amount as much as we possibly yeah. can. Right. Yeah. So I've been flashing up on the screen. If you've, uh, if you've seen this, Doc, I've been flashing up on the screen CDC um, uh, stuff from the last two or three months. Um, it's just been uh, little bulletins of, with data of, you know, there was death rate by nation. Uh, mm-hmm. And the differences, death rate by occupation was an interesting one where uh, professionals, those who are inside an office or, uh, you know, high, high skill type of uh, or high education type of professions indoors and all of that affected way less than something like a uh, manual low skill labor. That was one, that was a chart that was just up a minute ago. Um, and uh, but if, if you look at let's just take the people who are covid uh, who are um uh, died from COVID, what is their profession? Then that, that was that chart. Um, and then a bunch of it is preventative. Some of it is uh, symptoms that have just been rolling. I have it changed every minute to there's like 20 of these little things that we're rolling through. So hopefully you guys have been seeing some of these, some of these stats. And there's also one of these stats that is um, um, affected by age. And, mm-hmm. a, and the 80-year-olds and over, but it's it's uh, there's a giant spike like it's it's something like 20 percent something hospital slash uh fatality rate so age is a really big factor um in in uh, all of the uh, in uh, in infection or i guess symptom and hospitalization rate and death rate um not necessarily infection rate um but uh uh all right any any other good news that you can that you can paint for us because we could use some <laughs> if you uh, if you've got any for us, uh, well, I would say this is a good news if it's done. Okay, so everybody wants this magic pill or magic medicine, but we have sh- seen from what we've learned thus far on this virus, it's actually somewhat 
controllable if you do certain few very basic things. If you socially distance, if you wear a mask, and well, if we can contact trace and test. Yep. Now, the uh, masking and social distancing is you would think pretty easy, but there's you know been a lot of political uh, politicis- politicization of, of the uh, mm-hmm. the mask. Right. And I, and I've heard an interesting theory on that. I think it has to do with control. You know, when remember when COVID came out, everybody was dying to get toilet paper for some reason. Yeah. So that that obviously really makes no kind of sense on why that people get toilet paper. But uh, it was theorized that it, it was a level of control that people had. I can if I have toilet paper, then I'll be okay because it's something I can manage and control on my own. Okay. Same thing with a mask. If you're telling me I have to wear a mask, it's you're taking that control away from me. I don't have the option of whether to wear it or not. I don't know right. if that's valid, but I think to a certain extent there's, there is that to the human psyche that. Yes, sir, Jeff, I, I agree. So I, I heard some interesting things from um, a sex ed worker, a sex education worker, and they were saying that trying to convince people to wear condoms is very similar to trying to convince them to wear masks. Where the moment that you try to shame them or force them to do something, that's when they start really pushing back against the idea of doing it. And it's really about an education thing more than, hey, you have to do this thing to make it super effective. But since we're in a situation where if you're not wearing a mask, you could be killing another person, you know, these mandates are coming out that you have to do this. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think you're right, Doc. There's a lot of pushback on that because of the control factor. And the way it came out was an issue, too. At first, we were told it's not effective for the general public. Right. Now, There's some a lot of back and forth. Yeah. Now, some of that had to do with, I think, they were trying to reserve the uh, PPE for healthcare workers. Right, right. There was that aspect to it. But that mixed, mixed messaging early on, um, I think, kind of um, had a detrimental effect on this. And then, obviously, leadership refusing to wear a mask and, and, and not making it a big issue uh, um, is a, a really significant um, problem. And if you, the other thing, and testing is real crucial. Now, the problem is, Pandora let the, you know, it's out of Pandora's box at this point. It's too late to trace. There's too many uh, uh, infections going on. Tracing and testing is good, I think, no matter when you do it, but tracing is important when your cases are low. So like, you know, South Korea was used as a uh, early model. Um, they were, they learned from when they had an issue with MERS a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. They got blindsided and they, they decided it's not going to happen again. As soon as the uh, um, the DNA came out for COVID-19, they had their companies, I think six different companies, if I'm correct, start working on testing, on how to test it two weeks after that DNA came out. Hmm. And, uh, so they ramped up right from the beginning. The other thing is they, they got tracing down very early on. Now, it's, it's draconian. Uh, it would, we would never work in the United States, but basically... But what I'm told, they once you tested positive, they would use cell phone data to find out where you've been over the past two weeks and find every single person that pinged to uh, in that uh, cell tower or wherever they were, and find them and have them tested. In addition, they would t- uh, use your debit card and self uh, credit card data to find out where you were and look for people that were in those areas up to two weeks before. Uh, you tested positive to trace. So oh, that's very wow. aggressive uh, yeah. tracing. Yeah. So 
if you trace and find all these people that potentially have it, and the problem obviously is the asymptomatic carriers, right. the ones that you find it with. So that's how you can find those well, when, the, when the number of people that are uh, uh, infected is low. But when the inf infection volume it, it is as it is now, there's no way you can reasonably trace. You can't do that. There's no amount of money in the world that's going to be able to uh, do that. So You'd bring everybody in. You'd bring yeah, every, so, every human being, right? Yeah, yeah, essentially, you would have to test the whole country, right? And on a regular basis, too. Yeah, once a week, right? It'd be a once a week test or yeah. something, right? So now all we have is essentially uh, face masks and social distancing is all we have, basically left with at this point uh, to minimize this. Uh, uh, the CDC director. Uh, said now and i agreed with him on this one if 95 percent of people wore masks in about six weeks we would get this under control to a manageable level if you just would wear a mask i mean it's not really a lot to ask to wear a mask i mean i've had patients tell me uh they can't wear a mask for medical conditions but uh, uh i mean i've had copd patients that are able to wear a mask and their oxygen levels are fine it's not it's certainly uncomfortable no one likes to wear a mask Right. Uh, even doctors don't like wearing masks. I mean, imagine it's like surgeons that do neurosurgery on them. They're in masks for eight hours. You would have all of them dying if that was the case. Uh, I understand if you have certain, you're on oxygen all the time, there are certain conditions where it could increase your risk. But for the majority of people, if you simply wear a mask, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, you might have your political reservations on why you want to, don't want to wear it. But if you look at the greater good, I mean, People talk about my right to not wear a mask, but what about that? The person next to you's right to stay healthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The mask is not only to protect you, but it's to protect the person around you. Right. Yeah, it's it's both and, right? It, it's not just it's not just about you, and it's uh it's about the spread of this thing because, as you said, most most of us are going to be either mild or asymptomatic carriers. Most of us, like that. That's statistics that's been shown everywhere, right? Regardless of country. Most everybody who gets this is asymptomatic or mild, mild, uh, and it's not that. And you're not just making a choice for you; you're making a choice for everybody around you, right? We live in a society. I mean, come on, guys. Yeah. Like, I, I know you want your personal freedoms, but there are some things that we can do. Like you can go get your driver's license, right? Yep. You, you, you can wear this mask. Yeah. People wear seatbelts. No one. <laughs> I remember it was a big deal when seatbelts became mandatory, but now people are okay with it, you know, and it saves lives. Yep. Yeah, so the well, uh, yeah masks are a one out of ten on the effort scale. Like they really are. In it's, my, I mean, in it's my a opinion, one out of ten. They, they, <laughs> I, I like masks. Okay, I think they're pretty cool. <laughs> I, I, th I think they. It's a it's an accoutrement that you can have. Well, I, I enjoy them, frankly. Yeah, I ordered uh, I ordered one from Amazon. It was like a reusable with with interchangeable filters and some you know you can clean it and all this other business. <laughs> it's a cool thing. It looks it looks awesome. Look, makes me look uh, good. Uh, my buddy Terrence uh, showed me his, and I went, oh, "Okay, where'd you get that?" So he sent me a link. It's ten bucks. Uh, I ordered mine, and then I've got three of them more, three more of them on the way. Um, so for the family, right? We're just gonna we're just gonna do that, and we've also got a big ass bag of the disposable ones in case we need one. We've got them in both cars. Uh, they're ready to go, right? Uh, and we do it anytime anytime we are outside the house. Um, and unless if I'm doing my run in the, uh, it's 6 30 AM and it's just me and the dog, I'm, I'm probably, and I'm not near anybody. I'm, I'm probably, and I'm outside. I'm not, uh, if I'm right around in my car and it's just me, I'm not. But the minute I step out of my car or 
even if I'm drive through and I'm just going to run down and pick up a prescription and I'm going to have some sort of contact with someone standing there, I'm going to put my, put one on so I don't breathe outside the car or something. That that's, yeah. That is a one out of 10 on the effort scale and everybody here, everybody listening to this can do, can do that, can, can make that a reality and just knock that out. Right. Um, what, all right. What about, uh, what about washing your hands? Good idea or bad idea, doctor? <laughs> Great idea. Great idea. <laughs> okay. So, and actually, uh, um, some people I think have the mis- misconception of, uh, the, uh, antibacterial, uh, um, gels and you know, it's hand sanitizer right. as a better method. Actually, hand washing is just as good, if not better. Right. Because so, think, think about it. Uh, uh, if you're at home, you don't need to overuse your hand sanitizer. You just wash your hands. Right. Uh, right. If you have water available and soap, uh, that's actually a preferred method. Because you're actually washing it off, and uh, um, also you don't have the gel and alcohol that's dried up on your hands when you're you know eating or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, but and, hand is vital. I mean, that's that goes back to you know early nineteenth century when they figured out that that's a, a method that uh, we had a means of uh, uh, transmitting disease. Uh, you know, prior to then, doctors would even do surgeries without gloves. And never would wash their hands, but something so simple. That's why, uh, as someone said, you know, we, we as a country expect always this, these magnificent, grand things to fix this problem, but the the the, simple, uh, the fixes to this are fairly simple for the most part. Yeah, away from everybody, don't meet up with thirty thousand other people. You know, uh, 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 until this is uh, uh, managed much more than it is now, and wash your hands and uh, cover your face. Yeah. Don't touch your fa- face and eyes. That's the problem. A lot of people inadvertently will touch your face and eyes and nose. That's that's the real issue. Why you have to wash your hands because no matter how hard you try not to touch your face, you invariably will. Through the course of a day, many times. Many times. Yeah. You know what else? So, that's a tough one. Yeah. Cell phone. Uh-huh. Cell phone. You wash your hands, but don't wash your cell phone. This, that's something that sticks out to me. I try to, I try to alcohol pad my cell phone yeah. whenever I will wash my hands. Yep. Because otherwise, I'm just going to touch my phone like two seconds anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So give me. we always ask this. Uh, give me your prediction, Doc, on... Uh, on what what types of things in our society is now gone forever. Mm. Um, like we, we, I, I, uh, I, yeah, that's one I put forth to MC is I think maybe the handshake may be gone, um, as a greeting. And by the way, um, Japan, the bow, I'm a fan. Like I'm, I'm such a fan of the Japanese because they did all the things that you said. They, they are the highest density country in, in Southeast Asia, right? Or in, in Asia, Tokyo, they are cram packed in there. They socially distance somehow. They masked. They washed hands. They don't shake hands. They bow. Right. That's a that's a big thing, and they beat this thing very very handily. They had very very few deaths, like 800 in all of in all of uh, Japan. They had a, a they had a really good response, and they did it through both just both those things. Everybody masked and everybody social distance, and they they basically nailed it. Like they they're they're done. They're kind of done with this pandemic, right? They did not lock down ever, ever. Right? They never locked down, and yeah. and and there was never a mask mandate. Basically, what the prime minister and the health ministers did and said, these are reasons why we want you to do this, this, and this. And they were like, you know, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> so we're going to trust what you say, and we're going to do it. Yep. And so they never shut down. They never had 
mask mandates. That's just well, that's kind of ingrained in their society as it is. Yes. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, they didn't have to shut down. Right. Never had. Never had to do it. So anyway, so things that uh, so so and we uh, William and I postulated that maybe the handshake is gone from our society. Anything else you think is just now gone? It will never. It will never come back. Sad to say, and I'm, I like this, but hugging. Maybe so. Yeah. I'm, I'm such I a mean, touchy-feely person. I love hugging. I this love dude? Hands. It's, it's a huge problem for me. This dude yeah, right here, big hugger. He hugs me every time we see each other, and we hug, hug when we go away. Like, he's a hugger. He, it's a problem for me. He hug, You hugged everybody in that, that goddamn ADDQ crowd, <laughs> and you made it a, like a serpentine lap uh, and, hugged, around, right? and hugged like hug. 231 people. On your way out the door, Did yeah. You get sick, by the way. So yeah, <laughs> that was that was, that was uh, January. January that was January. So before it happened, hugging's a good one. Any any other things? How about uh, how about cinemas? Uh, they're not. I mean, I don't think they'll be gone, but the way they used to be is gone. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe drive-throughs you, come you, back. Yeah, I was just I about to say. I think drive-throughs might you. be a thing. Drive-throughs. Yeah. Or, uh, or sorry, drive-ins, drive-in movies, right? Yeah, drive-in, yeah, drive-in movies. Drive-in yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's that's awesome. Like I think the drive. I'm kind of down. Yeah, I'm kind of <laughs> down with the drive-in movie, man. I, I, I think like... there is drive-ins already. Yeah, there's there's a few of them. They are popular. very very few and far between. Uh, but I would I wouldn't mind seeing those come back. Where it, that's a a car is a pretty good social distancer, right? Yeah. Um, it protects you from from yelling something out at another car that you shouldn't have, and probably protects you from an ass beating. Right, that you should, yeah. that you may or may not get, uh, but it's also good if your windows are up. You ain't gonna breathe on anybody, right? You're uh, all you're doing is is if you're sneezing or coughing, you're doing it on yourself. So, uh, like, I'm down, man. Uh, yep. For, for the young people, I think clubbing is gonna be way different. Not like when I when you and I were younger. <laughs> yeah, going out, going yeah. out, hitting the club, hitting up the club. Yeah. Yep. I don't see you guys going to clubs, if I'm honest. Yeah, we had a couple, we had a couple <laughs> of them. A lot. We had a couple of them. And me, probably me more than Doc, and and uh, career choices uh, notwithstanding, it, it kind of yeah, paid off for maybe. him. <laughs> so, uh, all right, what's what is uh, what about something that is is now going to be a new neat little industry um, that that we wouldn't have seen coming? What's new? Well, definitely, uh, 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 what do you call it? ordering online? I think it's just that's going to be. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, even medicine online, I think, is going to yeah. be a, Delivery, a, a yeah. huge popular. telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I've I've done telemedicine uh, already. Yep. Since this is started. Tele- I see that becoming kind of a, a, a much yeah. bigger uh, um, kind of percentage of uh, just me- medical care. Mm-hmm. Um, I've maybe partitions in schools. So partitions uh, like, yeah, like clear partitions. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've heard some people uh, getting into that business where, you know, you have this kind of like a, looks like a, basically a plus line from, the, from up top. And it's like a clear acrylic partition that mm-hmm. you would put in between uh, desks to right. separate uh, students. Yeah. I actually went into, I actually had a dentist appointment in late May. I booked it in November, right? Every six months for a list of cleaning. And they never canceled it. And uh, I was I was expecting it to be canceled because it was locked. It was May. It was I think it was early May. It was lockdown, and uh, and I said, well, it's not canceled. I'm planning on going in. And they messaged me and said, confirming your appointment, eight a.m. Let's go. And I said, okay. 
So I show up, and sure enough, uh, mask required at the door. Uh, wipe your hand sanitized. There was a dispenser that basically got in my way. Uh, I had to hand sanitize. And then around the receptionist's uh, desk was basically a hockey rink, uh, plexiglass type of thing where it's the, the receptionist is not even, there's a little, it's like a little movie theater tray to slide the stuff underneath, mm -hmm. right? Uh, like they're sliding your ticket, your movie theater ticket underneath the little deal. And it was only this big where they had to be slide the deal. And I had to, I had to sign this little thing. And then once I, uh, they had a clean pins jar and a dirty pins jar. And I had to take a clean pin and sign, and then the dirty pins jar. And then nice. they uh, went, went away, and I guess they cleaned it, right? The, there, I think there's a, one other thing they made you do while you were there. Uh, took your temperature. Yeah, and yeah, they did the uh, across yeah. the forehead. They took my temperature, yeah. right? And then they, they had, I had to, uh, you swear, saw, tell, two, 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 and then they said, <laughs> have you had any uh, coughing, sneezing, runny nose? Contact with someone. Have you, has. you know. Have you been anywhere recently with 30,000 other people? No, uh, uh, no, no, I haven't. I surely haven't. No. This is what my dental visit was like. Yeah. yeah. They're super, super serious about the, yep. the, uh, the protocols. Yeah. And he said, right. yeah, he said, uh, and after, after I was done, Let's I actually up, like talked with a dentist and he said, uh, you're the, you're probably, this is our first week open. We were going to cancel you, mm -hmm. but uh, you're, you're back. You, you happen to have the right one and we didn't cancel you. So. All right, man. Perfect. Well, this has been uh, a thin slice of heaven, Doc. Uh, very, very good. I hated this. My, my hopes are crushed. I'm terrified even more. This is, I think, I hope that everyone listening got a little dose of reality. Hey, how serious this is. If what, you didn't think it was serious. What do I always say? Reality on reality's terms. Like, this is not, yeah. we, we're, we're here to give you the exact reality. We don't want to sugarcoat anything. We'll tell you the facts and we, we'll give you some recommendations. But this is, we're in it. Like, we're in it. We're doing this thing. Um, and the reality is, no one was trained. We're going to figure it out as we go. Medical community is, is by and large, not prepared. And uh, there are, but here's the great news, is there are examples of we can beat this by society. And, it, and it's a collective effort that we beat this. Hmm. Right? Everybody uh, do. Japan. Uh, go Japan. Like, they're awesome. Right? Let's do, let's do what Japan does. Right? Let's just, you know. Let's do that. I think. Let's so, not, uh, William, what do you got, what do you got coming up this week? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'll be streaming. I've been playing some Escape from Tarkov. I've been playing some Dead by Daylight. I've been playing some Terraria. You can Good. pick me up at 1 p.m. EST, uh, 7 p.m. UK time, 3 a.m. Australian time on those days. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's what I'll be doing. Awesome. Next, uh, I'm going to do uh, my stuff. I'm going to do a bunch of Factorio this week. Uh, we'll do at least one day of me and Ash playing some Terraria because we beat all the mech bosses. We're ready for Plantera. Uh, we made some good progress last night, and uh, we're going to do one more. The rest of it's going to be Factorio. And then... Next Enough About You is going to be on Saturday because next Sunday, one week from today, I will be leaving on a road trip for a full week. This will be the most vacation I've ever taken in a row off, off the show. And mm. uh, in five years, it's been the most vacation I've ever taken. So uh, I'm going to take this vacation pre-Factorio 1.0. 1.0 drops on August 14th. And that week, I will be, I'm off all that week. So we're going to be grinding out the Factorio and we're going to be celebrating 1.0. It's going to be great. So uh, join us for all of that. Um, thank you very much for all the raiders and the follows that you guys throw down. I, I've seen oh, yeah. them. We, they, the right. alerts are off. They, they flash up there, but there's no sound that goes off. It's kind of a different kind of stream. If you want to catch us, we have enough about you on the YouTube channel below. Go hit that like, subscribe. Uh, this episode will be out there. Also, if you want to check us out in your ear holes only, 
uh, without looking at me or uh, or William. You can check it out on Spotify. Also, we have a Twitter account, all that other good stuff, so you can you can check us out. So thanks for everybody for uh, uh, for being here today. Uh, so right, so Badger's going to sign us off, and then we're going to raid. Yeah, we're going to do a raid. Just raid. Uh, same motivate. That's the most important thing. I know times are hard. Things are bad. Life is different. But if you get up every single day and you try your best, you'll be okay. Oh, wait. All right, Doc, you want to leave us with anything first? At recommendations? Um, keep on living. Do what you're supposed to. And we'll get through it. Wa- wash your keep hands. Wear a mask. Okay. Wash your yeah, hands. Wear a mask. Don't, don't, Blake, stop. Don't look I, yeah, I know you're loving having her here. <laughs> I do. Uh, keep being awesome. Okay, you're already awesome. You're here on Twitch. You're listening to this cast. You're trying to educate yourself. It makes you awesome in my book, okay? And remember, wash your hands. Wash your hands.